Good, good. I know there was a party at this side of the room. There was high fives going on and all, which was great. So um, that, was, that was great. If this is your first morning in Journey Down Paddock, you're especially welcome. Uh, hopefully we don't screw you off too quickly, but uh, I just love, the, I guess, the culture that we're, we're growing and developing in terms of just being people who are sold after what God's doing in a room and in an environment. And, you know, Joy mentioned about dates coming up in terms of the new space and the new building. And, and you know, they are subject to change. Again, it's when you try to bring everything together, you know, that, that takes time. So the first, the first painting parties, they will not change, okay? They're happening, okay? So do not wear your Sunday best, but come. And if you don't feel like you can, you know, paint that well, you know, don't worry because we're painting the end of everything white. So the wall, the roof is already white. So, you know, I know people like James are like twitching because they're like OCD. We had that conversation earlier on in the week. And so don't worry that, you know, again, if you don't feel like it's your speciality, these are going to be great times just to get to know each other even more. There's something about when we all realize that it's not just a wee small builders that are doing, are building something for the kingdom and building something for God. Actually, we all get to play a part. And even when it comes to moving things from here, know that there are a variety of tasks for a variety of ability levels, okay? So young and old can get involved. So even if you're like, I don't have a babysitter and I have a five-year-old, they can carry a box of pens, you know? So like bring them along and, and we can get stuck in. But you know, I'm really looking forward to just seeing, you know, those times together, but the transitions that we get to do, I think we do this together. And, you know, we've been dreaming, we've been praying for, for many months and, and even for a while, we've been here for five years, but just to see what God does in the next season. So again, like Joy says, Church Suite is your best friend. Please, just even for the emails, if you don't really even know how to use the Church Suite platform, that's fine. But just for the emails, it'll be good to keep up to date on those, okay? So any if you haven't been signed up to Church Suite, Zoe gives a wave. Zoe doesn't know this, but she'll be at the end of service. And it'll be really good just to, especially if you've been coming for um, just a past while and you're thinking, you know what, I want to really make um, this crazy bunch my home then, I'd encourage you, that's how you stay up to date, especially in the midst of busyness. It's important to stay up to date. We can't always, you know, just convey everything on a Sunday morning, so it's important that you do that okay. So, um, look, if you've been around the past couple of weeks, we've sort of been doing, the, the month of May has just been a bit of a, you know, a dipping in and out of a few different things that we feel like God has been speaking just to individuals and as us as a community. So um, today we really want to speak about the fear of the Lord, okay? Now, I don't mean being afraid of God, but the fear of the Lord and having a healthy fear of the Lord. I don't know if you know, but the levels of lordship that God has in your life will dictate the measure of the kingdom that you will experience in your life. The levels of lordship that we give him, now God is Lord, okay? But the levels that we give him will dictate the measure of the kingdom of God that he pours out in our every given moment. You see, the greater levels of lordship means that we are open to greater levels of his, of his presence, of his movements. And you see, Jesus being Lord of our life isn't just, isn't for his benefit, it's for ours. Do you know that? Jesus being Lord of our life isn't for his benefit, it's for yours. God's not some narcissistic, egotistic maniac that needs your approval. I hope you know that, by the way. <laughs> but okay, I think three people here knew that, okay. <laughs> God, look, you, you giving God lordship in your life, it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. And in fact, what the, the obedience that we give him within that lordship is for his glory, okay. And what we're going to begin to see and what I want us to look at today is a couple of things, but... 
I really want to look at, see, those who want to be in control of the direction of their own lives are those who will resist the Lordship of Christ. But what's ironic is those who end up surrendering, those who end up giving up or fulfilling a greater destiny for their lives are those who have surrendered control and are under the obedience and the Lordship of Jesus. I'll say it like this. Those who end up fulfilling an even greater destiny than imagined are those who surrender to Christ and revere him daily. Okay? Now, I know, having chatted to a lot of you in this room, every single one of us, without a shadow of a doubt, has a desire to live a life that means something. Every single one of us want to live the moments that we have on this earth for a purpose and for a reason. But greater meaning for our lives is not by what we give it, but it's by who we give it to. We find greater meaning and purpose in our lives, not by what we can lump on it, but by who we can give it to, okay? Now, I'm going to read out a bunch of statements, okay? And I bet all of us in this room, and it's not confession time, so don't worry, okay? But all of us in a room would have said some of these statements in some shape or form, either out loud or by thought or in your real honest, anybody had real honest prayer closet moments where you're like just being full honesty with God, okay? Maybe these are some of the things that you said. You've said, you know, God, I will love and I will serve you in every area of my life, but I just need to first get this wee part of my life sorted, all right? God, I will do whatever you ask of me. Honestly, I'll do whatever you ask of me. I just want you to show me that it's going to work out in the end. All right? Or I, I will, I'll step out and I'll pray for this person on the street. But just please show me that they're not going to laugh at me. Or I will, I will do this very thing that you've told me to do, but know that it's going to work out for my good. And ultimately it does. Or God, I love this one because really it's me. God, I will financially invest in other people and other ministries, but first just make me rich, all right? God, I will go wherever you ask me to go, but I just want to know every step along the way. See, all of us will say certain things like this, you know, along the way upon our life, and, and that's just naturally what we do. You see, oftentimes we think we know best for our lives, and God needs to catch up to speed. In fact, Often the older and the wiser we often get, we feel like we know better than God, right? Now that may not be intentionally sometimes that subtly, and we all do it, but we know at the end of the day we're really just kidding ourselves, right? You just know you're kidding yourselves, right? You see, like I says, within every single person that's come into an encounter or a relationship with Jesus, every single person, they have this inbuilt desire, I believe, an inbuilt desire to see God do the impossible. Every single person in this room has an inbuilt, innate desire to see God do the impossible in their lives and in their communities. Do you know that? I'll say it. Every single person here, all of you, you want to see God do what you can't do in your own strength. And I really believe, see that desire, that inbuilt desire is God-given. That desire within us to see God do what we couldn't do in our own strength, to see God do what he's promised to do, comes from him, and I believe it's an invitation into a life that we have not yet seen. That desire within is a holy desire to see you step into a destiny to a promise beyond your wildest dreams and imagination. That's what all of us, we believe, we have a desire within us to know that we live a life that is made for more. Unless there's people here that just are going to settle for the mediocre life, 
Hands up who wants a mediocre life. Nobody. We want to live a life that is for more. And there's something very powerful that when we realize we've been given that invitation, that when the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us and utters and groanings, praying on our behalf, speaking to us, we have to realize that sometimes there's a wee bit of a subtle invitation placed on the inside and there's power in that invitation. I'll put it like this. I wasn't going to share this because, but I will anyways. Uh, two, two weeks ago, uh, I got a, an invite sent to, in fact, I used to work a couple of doors down for a youth organization, and I got a message from one of the staff members. There was a very regal-looking invitation that was sent to that address, uh, address to me. And it happened to be the Secretary, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland sent me an invite, inviting me to a royal tea party in Hillsborough Castle, Right? Now, if you know the estate I grew up in, that's quite ironic, okay? Um, just to let you know. Um, I, don't, I said here, but I don't say to the people where I came from, I probably wouldn't be able to make it, okay? That's a joke. And what happened was, I'm obviously bringing Hannah. I could not do that, okay? Um, uh, and we, we're really excited because we get to go to, I mean, we get to go to something that we've never been to before. I've never been to Hillsborough Castle, you know, but what we're going to see is, we're excited because we're going to see a measure of eloquence. We're going to see regal and, and royalty. We don't know who that's going to be yet. But we're definitely going to see a different way of life, if you know Hannah and I, it's definitely a different way of life. And we're going to be in the presence of people who have spoken to some of the best minds across the world. I mean, it's something to be excited about, not just the free food, okay? Or the free tea, which is ironic, because Hannah and I don't drink tea, you know? So we'll be there for the water party, right? So it's going to be really exciting. But you see, to exaggerate it just a little, for some people... That invitation will be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them, but also one that will change how they look around the world. But what you want to know, and what we all know, is greater than that invite is the invite that you and I have today. The invite that you and I have from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come into his presence. The invite, the daily invite, to step in and see his eloquence, to see his nature. To step in and to see a different way of life that is in the kingdom. That there's an invitation for you and I from that innate desire to see his kingdom come in our lives. In such power and such authority, we all have it. We can't squash it. In fact, it's an invitation that when we come into his presence, it changes absolutely everything. Greater is the invitation that Hillsborough Tea's party than it is to step into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what I want to look at is a, a scenario in Luke 5, if you have your Bibles, okay, you can, you can go to Luke 5, and it's 17 to 26, and I can't, the thing is I can't pull out everything in, in these stories, okay, so I'd encourage you just, if the Lord leads you, just go and read a bit more to that, but I want, I'll skim through it quickly, and I just want to pull a couple of things that I really believe are some nuggets and some gems about the power of God, okay? And it's this in Luke 5. I'm going to read from the New King James, okay? And that's 17 to 26. They'll not come up on the screen. So this is where you need to have either a Bible on your phone or, or with you, okay? And this is the story where Jesus, he forgives and heals a paralyzed man, okay? You'll know it well. I mean, it's, it's Sunday School 101, okay? It says this, Now it happened on a certain day that as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law, leaders sitting by, who had come out from every town, from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. 
And I want you to underline this. It says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who are them, the leaders? Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before them. And when they could not find how they might bring him to him because of the crowd, in other words, the place was packed, they went up to the house top of the, uh, the roof of the house and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst of Jesus. I mean, some scholars believe this might have been the house that Jesus was renting at the time. I don't know about anybody who rents, but could you say to your landlord, you know, what happened to the roof? Yeah, some people just the ministry, Lord. I thought that was quite funny. And then it goes on, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began the reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive the sins of God alone? Sins but God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? But you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man on the mat who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your home. Immediately, the man rose up before them all. He took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, underlined amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, Listen to this, we have seen strange things today, okay? You see, what's really interesting is as the house was packed with a group of, of religious leaders and, and people from the local town, it was so packed that the guy had to come up through the roof and by his friends lowered down. But what was really interesting, it said, and we overlook it, it said the power of God was there. The power of God was present to heal them. To heal who then was the leaders. And what's really interesting in the story is the leaders, they were amazed, but they weren't healed. The leaders were amazed at what Jesus done, but they weren't healed. The power, I believe, was originally there to heal them. But in fact, someone else ended up being healed. Now, in God's sovereignty, we knew that was the right person, okay? But what's really interesting is God's power is a magnet to those who are humble and those who fear him. You see, the leaders, they were amazed, but they weren't healed. Why? Because I believe the leaders didn't understand that Jesus was not there to entertain them. He was there to heal them. Jesus was not there in that environment to see how he could be an additive to their life. Jesus was there because he wanted to be the center of their lives. This story isn't about how great the four men and the, and the man on the mat was to get through all the crowd. And we could speak about hunger. But you may be here sitting going, you know, I feel like an outsider my whole life. I just feel like there's too many obstacles in my way to get to Jesus. I feel far from God. Can I tell you something? God has the ability to get you to his feet when he wants you at his feet. God is able to get you where he wants you. When your heart posture is you fear him and you come to him knowing that just like the man on the mat, you could not do it on your own, own strength in your own way. that he, we often see that Jesus became the center of this man's life. So often in our churches, we come and we go, Hi, what can I get out of the service? 
I mean, we all know people that have left one church because they didn't like the kids' ministry. And they went to the other church because the scones weren't nice enough. And then they went here because the pastor talked too long enough. And, you know, the prayer ministry team didn't ask them how they were doing. And all of a sudden, we have people that hop from church to church to church. Because they come and they look and they go, what can I get out of it? But like the leaders, they didn't understand that Jesus wasn't here to entertain them. He was here to transform them. And that's what we see. And there's something that happens when the power of God comes in a room. When the power of God shows up in an environment, in a, in a meeting. We can very easily miss what God's doing in a room because we believe how the meeting should go. Has anybody ever been, you go, we need to go this way or we need to do this. And we have these subtle ways. Maybe it's just me and I need to confess to you, but we often can so easily miss what God's doing in an environment because we're looking back to what he's previously done and want him to do it this way. Do not be a leader at the expense of missing out what God's doing in the room. God isn't here to be an additive to our life and our agenda. He's here to be at the center of it. And when we truly get to a place where we fear the Lord, where we revere what he's doing in our lives, I believe the power of God is a magnet to that. If you're here and you want to see the power of God in your life, grow in your fear of the Lord and you'll see it'll be a byproduct. Because God, when it says the humble shall inherit the earth, there's something about humility, not false humility, but there's something about humility and revering the Lord that he is drawn to, he is attracted to. And what we see is we, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we, there's two things we see in the Pharisees and the religious leaders, there was misplaced fear. And then in the lame man, there was holy fear. You see, misplaced fear. That, that's fear that says, I fear that which I don't understand. In other words, I fear that which I can't control. Okay? And then there's holy fear. And holy fear says, I don't need to control and I don't need to understand because I trust in him who does and who is in control. You see, when we look across the, the future of our lives, we can live either in misplaced fear or holy fear. And what we have to get into a place of saying, I don't know the next chapter. I don't know the next part. I don't need to be in control because I trust in him. I fear him who is in control. And like I said, it doesn't mean that we be afraid of God, okay? In fact, if you're afraid, I love the cheesy saying it was once said. Let's see if I can get this right. Religion says, oh no, I've messed up. My father's going to kill me. But relationship says, oh no, I've messed up. I need to go to my father. Subtle difference. That when we mess up, when Romans says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, every single one of us, as we pursue that invitation to see God do the impossible of our lives, when the reality and the rubber hits the road, we don't need to be afraid of God, but instead we move into fear of the Lord. And that is a subtle difference. That the Pharisees, they misplaced it, but the lame man, he had a holy fear, and his outcome was very, very different. And what's really important that I really believe in this next season of, of you as an individual, but us as a church, 
is that we have to get to a place where we begin to see God rightly. How you, how you see God as the single most important thing in your life. How you view God will dictate everything else in your life. And what we have to begin to do, I really feel, is we have to take the time, take the intentional effort to ask ourselves, I want to ask you, and you don't have to respond, but how do you see God? How do you see God in this next season? In fact, how do you see God where you're the biggest royal screw-up? See the area of your life that you're struggling in right now? How do you see God in in that capacity? Who is God to you in that moment? And what we have to begin to do is I really feel, look, in this moment, in this time, because a, a community, how, much do you, how many of you know our community has such a wrong view of God? Such a wrong view of God. If they got a view of who God was, they would be in places like this right now. And what we have to do, I really feel God is inviting every single one of us into a greater revelation, a, a fresh revelation of who he is. Today, God wants to upgrade, upgrade your revelation of him. He wants to show you who he is to you, for you, but also for the community. And some of it is in that he is Lord. And in our, cult, in our type of stream is we can often just speak of Jesus being our friend. And, and Jesus is closer than a brother, okay? But he's not, just your, he's not just your friend, he's mainly your Lord. And when we get that relationship right, something begins to happen on the inside. Mark 6, okay, I'll not read it all, but the context of this is really, really important. Because what we begin to see is Jesus is back in his hometown. He's in a synagogue, and he's, and he's teaching. And he opens up from the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to, to point that scripture back to himself. And you can go in, and there's so much in that. But as the people begin to hear Jesus' teachings, they're amazed. As they begin to attribute what has previously, the, the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that are happening around the neighboring areas, they go, this is the man that's been doing this. But then there's a pocket of people in the room that they go, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the carpenter's son who we've seen grow from a young boy? And what happens is they shift from amazement to offense. And what happens is it says this in Mark 6, 5, They were offended so much that it says he could not do any great work there. I mean, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not that I don't don't believe he was restricted. I believe in some ways he chose not to because measures of faith. But in that moment, it says he did not, could not do any great work there. You see, the people who knew Jesus, the people in that room, they became so familiar or they thought they, they were so familiar with his ways because they knew him. They were so familiar in how they viewed him. In fact, they were so familiar with Jesus, they believed they knew everything about him. Can I tell you something? If you're here and you believe you know everything about Jesus, you need fresh revelation. <laughs> you see, the moment that we feel like we are settled in our knowledge of Jesus, now, Jesus is never changing. The canon of Scripture is closed. There is no outside revelation in that sense. But our revelation, our understanding of who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is should always be growing and should always be changing. Not changing, being added to. And what happens is Jesus responds to, to, the, to their reaction. He says, in Mark 6, 4, he says, and you all know it, a prophet is without honor except when he's in his hometown 
among his own relatives and his, mo- his own household. And what's really interesting is if you go and you look at that phrase, without honor. Without honor means to hold someone or something in low esteem. Without honor means that you would treat that person or that thing as ordinary. Is that thing as common? In other words, the people in the room, they were seeing, they were amazed, they were seeing what the Son of Man was revealing to them. And yet they got offended and they, they began to go, nah, this is just Jesus, he's common, he's ordinary. I believe one of the biggest shames and one of the biggest tragedies in the Christian life is that we can treat Jesus as ordinary. The biggest mistakes for ourselves that we fall into is we treat Jesus as common. And what we do is we go about our lives, we go about our daily routine, and we treat Jesus like the, the, the religious service that we go to on a Sunday, just like the rest of our routine throughout the week. And I believe this morning God wants to challenge us into seeing that differently. You see, like the Pharisees in the room, and the leaders in the room in Luke 5, they became so familiar, they became so content, or so wanting Jesus to add to their own agenda, that they risk being content and entertained, but miss out on his power. It's why we need a fresh revelation that only the Spirit of God can bring. We need to begin to a place where we see him rightly, see him for who he is. In fact, I'll put it like this. You and I cannot afford to have a view of God that is outside of the reality of who he actually is in our lives. We can't afford to have a view of God that is out of touch from the reality of who he actually is over all of creation and over all of humanity. And the moment we become familiar, the moment we feel like we understand him, is the moment we begin to lose touch. It's subtle. And the moment we begin to feel like we have it together is the moment we begin to lose touch of the Lordship of our lives. See, God is never changing, like I says, but our, our need for fresh revelation. Like I says, what, what I mean by revelation? Well, it's like I says a couple of weeks ago. Knowledge is like watching a boxing match and knowing that the punches hurt. Revelation is being in the ring and feeling the weight of the punches. Religion knows systematics and everything about Jesus, but revelation is having a personal encounter where you know Jesus was Lord in that moment and Savior in that moment. And that's what we gotta get into. Now, we don't, we'd rather stay in the systematics because it's easy to control and it's easy to manage. And it's plain and it's less messy. But can I tell you something? Usually the best revelation in our lives come when we're in the messiest moments. When we feel like we're in the muck and the mire, that's when the revelation of God as Lord and God as Savior comes into your life. I've been around and I sometimes cringe and, you know, Hannah can testify to this. But when people run around saying, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? But then I look across their lives and I go, I haven't seen Jesus be Lord or Savior in your life. We had to be people. And Northern Ireland, we love it because it's in our Protestant culture, if I'm being honest. It's been so ingrained. But we need to move from being Protestant in culture to seeing people who are kingdom in culture. And I know that might seem lofty, but we need to be people that actually have seen Jesus be Lord. And we actually are people who've seen him be Savior. Because I can, can I tell you something? And I'm being hyperbolic when I say this. I'm being exaggerative when I say this. If Jesus hasn't saved you from something, then I don't think he's saved you of your life. Because what we want to do is we want to come to some churches 
And what we want is we want to know context, we want to know every systematic, and that's important to be taught, by the way, and doctored and all sorts of things. But what we've discovered is we want something so lofty, something so deep, that when I go home, I don't have to do anything with it. But instead, the invitation is to lead us into a place that says, how do I apply what's going on to my life? Because if what we come to church and we don't experience or hear things that mean I have to go home and treat my wife differently, then it's not the point. Too many Christians settle for lofty teaching, for lofty yeah, teaching that comes from churches. That they go, oh, that was great. I understood the, the, the principles of substitution and, and the doctrine of you know, sanctification, yet they never ever seen the application in their lives. And we have to watch for that. I don't know why I was going there, but I feel like it was important. The moment that we stop pursuing revelation from the innate invitation that he's placed on the inside of us is the moment we go into religion instead of relationship. Revelation is messy. But if you're here and afraid of getting into the muck of mire, it's actually because of our own shame. Can I tell you something? I love, that might sound a bit strange, but I love hearing the muck and the mire of your lives. And how God comes into it. Because I see real people that are looking to see breakthrough and transformation. Do you know God can't bring breakthrough if you won't, you won't acknowledge the problem? We can't receive breakthrough if we don't acknowledge a problem. That lame man could have sat at home in self-pity. We don't know the context of his friends bringing him to that. Whether they were helping him or whether they were going, you're going to do a pity party and you're coming. Now we obviously see that he had faith in his heart. Sometimes good friends in your life don't let you sit on a pity party mat. Instead, they go, right, you're coming with me and we're going to get this sorted. That's the type of community that I want us to become because it's in that space that we will always see breakthrough. We always see transformation. In fact, the moment we stop fearing the Lord is the moment that we lose our sense of wonder. And when we lose our sense of wonder or, or faith for what God could do, is the moment we become stale and stagnant in our, in our walk with him. We become stale, we become stagnant. In fact, I see that's what the leaders in Luke 5 were, the Pharisees. They were amazed, but they were never transformed. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is true spiritual insight. When we begin to fear the Lord, when we begin to view him rightly, it's by that revelation that we begin to see our situation rightly. It's when we begin to come into a place of God, I don't understand my situation entirely, show me. And when he begins to speak into an environment or into a scenario, we begin to see how he sees it. And like I said, the fear of the Lord is like a magnet to the power of God. The fear of the Lord is a magnet to having an encounter with the Lord. But like I said, you might be here and you might be feeling like there's too much in my way. The place is too busy. I'm last in line. You know, God often overcomes that excuse by saying, you know, those who are first will be last, but those who are last, they get to go to the front of the line. In other words, it doesn't always mean about blessing. It means about getting transformation. And the fear of the Lord is like a magnet to an encounter with the Lord. And an encounter with the Lord leads to holiness. I believe the fear of the Lord is the doorway into being holiness in the Lord. 
And as a community that we're called to transformation, what does that mean? That means that we become more like Christ. That we're not here just to sit and be bums on a seat. Because this, this is only, do you know what we're doing right now is only a half-truth and a small part of the kingdom? It really is. And if this is the main part of our Christian walk, I'm not going to say we're just missing out. That God wants to do so much more in our lives and wants to do so much more in our communities. But the fear of the Lord is the doorway to becoming like the Lord. Because I'll say it like this. See that which you revere most in your life is that which you become like most. That which you have hold, held in the highest regard, some might say an idol, is that which you will become like. And in fact, that which you hold as Lord in your life is where you get your fruit from. So see, if you're not producing fruit, then Jesus isn't Lord of every area of your life. And I know every single one of us here want more fruit in our lives. So what we begin to do is we get to move into a place of going, where is, where is Jesus not the Lord of my life? What area of my life is he not Lord? And spend time with yourself or with a trusted friend and go, what's stopping him from being Lord? And you'll find that when that happens, now fruit doesn't always mean things go our way, okay? It means that it begins to go his way. I want to, uh, Josh and Mary just want to come back up. You see, when God is Lord of our life, fruit cannot help but grow. Fruit cannot help but grow in some of the most unexpected places. Because no matter where you find yourself, like we've read, God's power is always resting in an environment, ready to move. Do you know it doesn't matter oftentimes? Because the, the power of God rested upon that room in a packed out room with religious leaders who did not have the heart to receive it. And it's like the mercy and the kindness of God that just shows up in an environment. When I talk about the power of God, I'm talking about, it's not just a feeling. God's more than a feeling. It's the power that can do the impossible. It's the power that can split seas, it can open up blind eyes, can make people walk. That same power, I believe it's God's desire to hover in this. What would it look like for the power of God that we would be a people that would continually pursue and hunger after the power of God to rest in an environment? Joy got up at the start and says, it's, you know, we enter his, 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 the password into his presence is praise. That's not a, not a legalistic thing. Do you know what that focus is? Take the focus off yourself and put it on him. And you may find you'll end up in the power of God. When we shift our focus from ourselves onto the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is constantly inviting us to be the center of our story, we'll find. Can I, I find... Hannah's been coming to me saying, you're a bit of a change man, you know, when you, you remove all of the, you know, trying to make things happen. Can I tell you something? The kindness of God that has been on our community. I'm learning new facets of who he is. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance back to him. It's the kindness of God that we have this building. It's the kindness of God that we will see revival. But it's also the kindness of God that you will see breakthrough in your life. You cannot come here throughout your own works, by your own trying harder to get God to move in your behalf. It's his kindness. And that's my prayer this morning, is that you would know the kindness of God in your life. God is better than we think. He is so much better than we know. It's like God is the most misunderstood person in the planet. And what will happen, there will come a day where people will begin to see him, where the veil will be torn in terms of this life, and we'll step into the next, and people will go, whoa. But you know what? We don't have to wait for that. 
And when we say his kingdom come, his will be done, we want to see fresh revelation. I see it in the room. If you're hungry here this morning and you want a fresh encounter, a fresh revelation, God, show me, take me beyond my understanding of you. Show me who you are for this situation. And what I love is that in Joel 2, in a book that is about call to repentance, I love how it finishes and it says this. In 3.18 it says, In those days, in that day, the mountains will drip with new wine, the hills will flow with milk, all of the ravines of Judah in the land will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the, ho- the house of the Lord, as will water in the harshest of valleys. All of us here, you might find yourself in the harshest of valleys, the situations and the circumstances. That harsh valley means the thorned valley. Where, where any growth is choked out. But can I tell you something? When you put your trust in the Lord, when you fear Him, nothing can ever squash what He is destined to happen in your life. Nothing can ever grow around you and squash what the Lord wants to do within you when you fear Him. When you have a holy fear that says, I trust in Him. I trust in Him. He's going to be Lord of my life in this situation, in this circumstance. I'm going to fear him. He's a man of his word. In this moment of my life, I'm not going to worry. Do you know worry? When he tells you not to worry, that's a command. Just just stop. I'm, I'm going to decide I'm not going to worry. In fact, I'm going to fear him and not my situations, not my circumstances. Because he's sovereign. A couple of weeks we says, he's writing the story. Give up the pen. And trust in the author of your story, of your situation. And I can tell you right now, because he's a man of his word, you will see his spirit poured out. You will be nourished where you feel like you're burnt out. You will see that your reserves are no longer in of yourself, but they're in of him. And he is a well that never runs dry. You'll see that his presence is your source. And no matter how hard your situation and your circumstances are, He's the Lord of it. So why don't you stand? I want to do this. I want to pray over you. Just as we went to a final time of worship. And I really felt the Lord, this was the strongest part to do. And I want to, I want to pray a charge over you. Not even a charge. I just want to pray over you. And if you want to receive, I'd encourage you to close your eyes, put your hands out. Nobody's, kids have another 10 minutes to come, okay? So don't worry. We have a bit of time for this. And I want to pray that the spirit of revelation would open up your eyes again. That the spirit of wisdom would open you up again. You would step into a fresh fear of the Lord in this moment. And that when you're in that ring receiving those punches, you would know that Jesus is right beside you. I pray right now, Lord, that the mountains in these people's lives would drip with your new wine. I pray, Lord, that their hills would flow with your nourishment. Where they feel burnt out, where they feel dry, would their desert hills begin to flow with your milk. Lord, that the ravines and the reserves in their lives would run with your spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would counter them in a fresh touch this morning. That when they've placed their reserves in themselves, 
they would shift it into you. Father, I pray that as they come into your presence, they would experience the fountain of life that is in you, the water of life begin to spring up within them, Lord. That regardless of the situation and the circumstances that are happening around them, God, I pray in the harshest of valleys, you will bring new life. Father, I pray do you come, Holy Spirit, with a fresh revelation and a fresh touch on the inside, God, that we would leave, that any map that we've come on, we would leave a new life again. That you would begin in your kindness to say, pick up your map and walk. That means whatever area of our lives that we're stuck in, we begin to walk out of. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Let's worship.